Today, we will hear Matthew's account of Easter. For the first-timers, Matthew's original name is Levi. He used to be a tax collector, the most despised and hated Jew at the time because he worked for Roman government. But Jesus invited him to be his disciple and change his life and gave him a new name, Matthew, meaning the gift of God. Matthew, in turn, gave us a gift of God, the Gospel of Matthew. He wrote the story of Jesus primarily for Jewish people. As you will see soon, Matthew tells a story of Jesus' resurrection honestly with some unique details. Matthew tells us Easter story through two groups of eyewitnesses. They saw the same thing, but they started saying, two different tales of Easter. Thus, I entitled today's sermon, Two Tales of Eyewitnesses. And I invite you to make your own conclusion from these two different tales of Easter. Let me read our text today. Matthew 27, verse 62. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive and deceiver said, after three days I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made a tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, and for angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like a lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were afraid of him, that they shook and became like a dead man. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and they're going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to the tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You ought to say, His disciples came during the night, stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of the trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. 
And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Let me give you an easy outline to reflect on today's story. It's an acronym. Those of you who know me, I love acronym. It's a PURE, P-U-R-E. P stands for Prepared Eyewitnesses. U stands for Unprepared Eyewitnesses. R stands for Risen Christ. And E stands for Examine and Evaluate the Evidence of an Empty Tomb. So first, Prepared Eyewitnesses. Matthew is the only gospel writer that tells us about the Saturday meeting of the Jewish leaders with Pilate. After Jesus had been crucified and laid in the tomb, the Jewish leaders, Sanhedrin actually, were still concerned about Jesus and his promise of a resurrection. They said, so they went to the Pilate and said, he uh, he made a false promise about resurrection. And if his disciples uh, may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from dead, the last deception will be worse than the first. The, by the way, the first deception they call was that Jesus claimed to be Messiah and Son of God. They wanted to make sure that Jesus' movement will go no farther. So they successfully killed the deceiver Jesus on Good Friday. Now they wanted to do what military calls a confirmed kill. They wanted to make sure that Jesus' heretic movement would never move again with another lie of resurrection, which they call last deception. So they asked Pilate for the permission to secure the tomb. And Pilate said, take the guard. And then make a tomb as secure as you know. So they went and they made a tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and the posting the guard. They are well prepared for the rumor or idea of a resurrection of Jesus. By that, they teach us one thing. They knew the magnitude of a resurrection. They knew the powerful significance of the resurrection. Now, the resurrection then made Jesus, uh, Jewish leaders so worried about was the bodily resurrection. You might say, is there any other kind of resurrection? Isn't that obvious? Apparently, I might say, some people, including liberal Christians, have a different notion of a resurrection. Their idea of a resurrection is rather philosophical than physical. For instance, a New Testament scholar named John Dominic Croissant, a prominent member of a Jewish seminar, those of you taking a cornerstone uh, learn a little more about Jewish seminar, said this about the biblical story. He said, my point, once again, is not that those ancient people told literal stories, and we are now smart enough to take them symbolically, but they told them symbolically, and we now dumb enough to take them literally. Croissant believes that the uh, Bible is symbolic, more symbolic than literal. Later, 
Luke's stories of a risen Christ appearing to two disciples on road to Emmaus, he said in this way, Emmaus never happened, yet Emmaus always happens. By that, he meant this, when Emmaus never happened, that means it didn't really or literally happen. These are legends and symbolic. Yet in my Emmaus always happen because the higher truths of this symbolic event of forgiveness and hope. So story, even though they didn't really happen, they tell us about this higher truth and the symbolic rep uh, representation of a higher truth. That's how many liberal Christians understand the resurrection, philosophically rather than physically. They say, Good Friday commemorate the sacrifice, giving of oneself as a model for the love of others. So Easter is an achievement of a victory through suffering. These are the universal truth. Do you think today's passage tells us that's what Jewish leaders were afraid of? Were they so concerned with the universal spiritual truth of a philosophical resurrection that they asked Governor Pilate for permission to take a Roman soldiers and guard the tomb for the next three days? If they were fearful of a philosophical resurrection, why did they cement the tomb with a large stone and official seal, imperial seal? Make no mistake, what the Jewish leaders were prepared to protect was a dead body of Jesus. What they called the last and the worst deception was the idea of bodily resurrection. It is a physical resurrection, not philosophical resurrection, that matters to us and our faith. Anyone does not speak of bodily resurrection, does not know the Bible, nor the truth of the Christian gospel. John said in the, his first letter, John chapter 4, that every one or spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and anyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus has not come from flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. A great American novelist, a Pulitzer uh, winner, Pulitzer Prize winner, John Updike, uh, wrote a profound poem on resurrection. And I want you to uh, hear this poem. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, molecules re-knit re and amino acid rekindle, the church will fall. Let us not mark God with a metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence. Make of the event a parable or sign painted in the faded cruelty of our earlier stages. Let us walk through the door. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest, awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Another English theologian said this, If you do not speak bodily resurrection of Christ, then we should not speak of resurrection at all. Now, let's go to see the other eyewitnesses. 
the unprepared eyewitnesses. We'll come back to the soldiers later. N.T. Wright uh, once says that uh, Easter stories are full of uh, people getting the wrong end of the stick. Among them, the most unprepared people were the followers of uh, Jesus. They came to the tomb at dawn after Sabbath. Why? According to Mark chapter 6, verse uh, 1, after Sabbath at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent, oh, I'm sorry, that, uh, uh, Mark 16. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Solomon, brought the spices that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They came to give a proper burial to Jesus. Why? Ancient burial, which was a wrapping a corpse with a 70 to 100 pounds of spices of myrrh, they tightly so that the stench uh, would not leak out, usually took a day or even longer. But when Jesus died on Good Friday, it was at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, 3 p.m. And since Jewish Sabbath started that very day, sunset, evening, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus didn't have enough time and they had to hurry to wrap Jesus' body. That's why these ladies came to the tomb not because they believed in Jesus' promise of resurrection, but because they believed in his death and then wanted to give their dead rabbi a proper burial. They were not only unprepared, but also completely unaware. They were totally clueless. For instance, if you look at the John chapter 21, Mary think Jesus' body was actually stolen. So John chapter 20, verse 15, when Jesus asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is that you are looking for? Thinking that he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. Mary thought it was a gardener, not Jesus. Until Jesus called her name, she didn't recognize it was a Jesus. Peter also went there. And the disciples didn't recognize the scripture, I mean, didn't understand scripture. So uh, John chapter 19, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started the tomb and the both were running and the other disciple, Aaron Peter, that means John, and reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in the strips of linen, linen lying there, but did not go in. Then the Simon Peter came along and behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen, linen lying there, as well as the clothes that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The clothes was lying in his place, separate from the linen. By the way, when John wrote his version of a Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning event, he included a fascinating note that when John and Peter entered the tomb, they found the grave clothes lying itself 
with a linen head, linen head cloth folded next to it. Evidently, spices and the resins had hardened into a shape of Jesus' body, but there was no Jesus. It was a hollow, leaving the appearance of a cocoon after a butterfly has escaped. How do you explain the fact? You know, gra uh, grave robbers, tomb thieves, wouldn't, would have taken the body without unwrapping it, or they would have unwrapped it and thrown the uh, a winding sheet to the side. No one steals a body, then rewraps the grave, uh, grave clothes, the taping all over, and neatly put the other clothes. Have you seen thieves nicely folding clothes after going through someone's closet and the room? Later in the evening, on the road to Emmaus, two disciples who talked to Jesus for a while did not recognize Jesus until the Jesus broke the bread. All this means the early Christians weren't prepared for what actually happened. As a Someone said, it looks as though they were struggling to describe something for which they didn't have an adequate language. Their first reaction was a fear and terror. Before we look down on the forgetfulness of disciples about Jesus' promise of resurrection, we must ask a question, why? For that, we must look at their grief carefully, their deep grief, reveal something very important about Jesus. Yes, it was their deep grief about the death of their, uh, their rabbi and uh, uh, Messiah that they were totally devastated and couldn't think any anything else. So, now, disciples of Jesus had been definitely disappointed and discouraged and defeated when Jesus died. And they had gone into hiding like a wounded animal to lick their wounds. Now, if Jesus had come and only given them great teaching, it would, have, it would not have made a great deal of a difference when he had died. Because other great teachers have suffered unfortunate death, but their disciples moved on. For example, Socrates was falsely accused of and was ordered to drink a cup of poison and suffered a political injustice. But his disciple Plato was sad, but was not paralyzed or defeated by his teacher's unfortunate, untimely death. He moved on, kept teaching the philosophy of Socrates. If Jesus were, was an, another leader of a teaching movement and had been removed from the sin, then disciple, his teaching and disciples would continue. So if our Lord had claimed only to be a teacher or prophet, it would not have been such a tragic thing for him to die and for his body to place in a grave. But he claimed to be son of God, and disciples saw his supernatural power in so many miracles and even glory, his glory on the top of the mountain, and they believed him to be a God. Thus, when Jesus died, his disciples dived into deep depression. Later, some early Christians developed a tradition of a holy Saturday after this experience of disciples. Some call it, some early Christians call it Black Saturday. 
By the way, it's not another shopping day. It's a Black Saturday. Some Christians today suggest that Holy Black Saturday tradition would be appropriate Christian response to current pandemic. So, so far as we know, not a single person in Jesus' group believed in resurrection. Not a single person. Therefore, to claim some of the disciples came and stole the body away in order to create all a belief in the resurrection is contrary to all the account. Now, let's move on to the story, to the risen Christ, the third point. So, woman, verse 8, hurried away, met the angel, and heard the news of resurrection, and they hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with the joy, ran to the tell his disciples. Mary, Magdalene, and Mary, they were both terrified and overwhelmed with the joy. They are fearful and joyful. Uh, uh, a German uh, religious scholar named uh, Rudolf Otto wrote a great book, classic book called Idea of Holy. He says, someone who really experienced God, there is a tremendum and fascinandum. In Latin word means a tremendous fear as well as a fascinating fascination, attractive you know, joy. That's what they are going through. The presence of Jesus changed their fear into joy as well as ours. And this joy is not a situational or circumstantial. Now, these ladies encounter met Jesus. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clapped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There, they will, uh, they will see me. Now, we need to know something very important about the appearance of a risen Christ in the Bible. At least, according to the Bible, he appeared 10 times in record. And one time, he actually appeared the gathering of 500 disciples in 1 Corinthians 15. So, Bible refute uh, some people's uh, idea, a hypothesis that resurrection was a group hallucination. 500 people don't have a group hallucination unless they took some major, major, I'm sorry, those of, you know, some kind of drugs. To whom Jesus, now, the question I have is, uh, to whom Jesus appeared first? Every time when it comes to Easter Sunday, I can't help but uh, entertain that question. If, if you were the risen Christ, to whom would you appear first? I have a clear list. I'm come to, I will say, mom and my friends and families, our disciples. But Jesus, and then along with that, actually, I would love to appear to enemies. But Jesus did not appear to Jewish leaders or Pilate. Today, Jesus told the disciples, like the angels, that tell my brothers go to Galilee, there they will meet me. Why didn't Jesus appear to Pilate, Annas, Caiaphas, Herod, all these evil guys? I would, you know, I would love to, you know, I, yeah, it's my, 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 my Christological fantasy that I, 
I will, you know, of course, I will meet to, I, I will encourage the disciples, but, you know, since Jesus, uh, risen Christ transcends time and space, I will also spare a little bit of time and appear to Pilate, especially when he was evening, when he was, you know, a little bit, when he was sleeping, and I'll just, you know, touch his hair, and when he, you know, wakes up, and I say, how are you doing? Are you good? You should listen to your wife next time. That's a different story. Now, why did Jesus appear only to his disciples, not to his enemies? Very important truth is here. God does not want us to believe him out of fear, but out of faith. Believing in God is knowing his heart and his love for us. Now, James chapter 2, James said, You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe and much more, they fear him. Believing in God is not believing in his existence or even his powerful. Believing in God means he loves you and he cares for you. Not only Jesus met this woman, but also Jesus commissioned them to tell the good news to good news of resurrection to his uh, to his disciples. And I think here, reason Jesus retains a sense of uh, forgive me wicked humor. I do believe this with all of my heart. Because who did Jesus? Who saw Jesus first? It was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the first witness to the resurrection. And the story of uh, Mary Magdalene telling the resurrection of Jesus for the first time, I think, is a comic story in the Bible. Remember, Mary Magdalene is one out of whom went seven demons. Mark chapter 69 said, uh, when Jesus rose early, On the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Have you seen anyone with a severe uh, bipolar disorder? Mary Magdalene has a seven demons. In another word, she's been around the bend. She had a loose shingles on her roof. And uh, Jesus chose her to be the first messenger of a resurrection. And everybody knew Mary Magdalene's past. So can you imagine where Mary Magdalene goes back and tells uh, Peter and John about the risen Christ? Can you imagine the faces of the disciples when they heard the news from Mary Magdalene? At the time, according to the Gospel of John, neither one believes the resurrection at the moment. And there was a Mary Magdalene claiming that Jesus has been raised from the dead and his body is no longer there. I can't, you know, I bet, I, I, you know, I can, I can just imagine the things that they said behind the back. You know, Peter probably said, Hey, Johnny, I think the poor Maria or Mary lost her mind again. She has a worse PTSD than all of us. If there were psycho, uh, psychiatrists, she would be surely been readmitted. 
Now, Jesus commissioned one seven-demon-possessed woman and other woman to, to, to declare the good news of a resurrection. And then once again, if the resurrection, Easter story is invented and planned and fabricated by early Christians, why did they choose this kind of crazy, unreliable uh, characters with an ill reputation to be the first messengers? Let alone woman at the time couldn't be, couldn't be the legal witnesses in the court. Now let's move on to the final part of the story, the concluding part. That is, you, we need to examine and evaluate the evidence of an empty tomb. So verse 11 said, while the woman on their way, some of the guards went into the city, reported to the chief priest everything that happened. And then Sanhedrin had an emergency meeting and they came up with this idea. You ought to say, his disciples came during the night, stole him away while we, you were sleeping. And if this, if this report gets to the governor, don't worry, we'll protect you and we will take care of the governor. Matthew included the story of Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers in his gospel because they created another tale, opposite version of Easter. The Jewish version of Christ's resurrection, simply a tomb robbery, that body robbery. And then at the end, he said this story has been widely circulated among the Jews of his day. And he was right. Even in the middle of the second century, some Jews believe that, and uh, there was a story, there is actually a book written by an uh, 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 early church you know, leader named uh, Justin Marder. And this, uh, he had a conversation, lengthy conversation with a Jew named uh, Trifo. And uh, the book, we have the book. It's a middle second century book, Dialogue with a Tripo, the Jew. And the Tripo, he repeats exactly the same thing. Matthew, by recounting for us this story that has been circulated, is actually showing us. That the ridiculousness of the denial of a resurrection and in a way, he was uh, poking at Jewish, you know, virgin. He was actually saying, "Is this the best as you can, best you can do?" Here we see several problems with uh, this tale of uh, Easter. Let me point it out first. The, their main idea was this: soldiers were sleeping, and Jesus' disciples came by night and they stole the body away. That's the, their story. Okay. Now, first of all. Taking a body, breaking by breaking the imperial soul, uh, imperial seal is a capital offense. These disciples of Jesus abandoned him upon his arrest just three days ago, but would come back and risk their life just in, in order to steal his uh, dead body. By the way, once again, they instead of taking whole thing, they just took the naked body. Second, and also neatly leaving the crime scene, 
Secondly, they did, in order to do that, they have to uh, move the, 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 heavy, uh, uh, the, the heavy bolt and then they have to, I mean, it has to create a lot of noise. Without, they did all this uh, noisy task at night without disturbing the guard's sleep. If so, these soldiers were the soundest sleeping guards in history. Third, if all of the guard were sleeping, how could they tell the story? How do they know what happened? Fourth, if that's the story, why didn't Jewish leaders prosecute the disciples of Jesus by stealing body again, body that had been sealed in the tomb with the imperial seal? Disciples committed a capital crime and they have the, they have a perfect charge to eliminate them. But as we see in the book of Acts, that charge never brought up. Finally, how come these soldiers were still alive and well to tell their story? Because Roman soldiers, to lose their prisoner, it means a death. If you look at the Acts chapter 16, uh, Acts chapter 16 there's a story of a Philippian jailer. And uh, as, you, as, as some of you know, when Paul was praising and praying God in the middle, uh, middle, middle of the night in Philippian jail for, for his suffering for Christ, and then great earthquake happened, and jailer woke up, and then he saw the prison, door, prison doors open, he drew his sword, and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. That's a huge, and then Paul said, hey, we are still here. So he saved the, prison, uh, the, the jail, jailer, Philippian uh, jailer, as well as a later, not just his life, but uh, you know, share the gospel. And also, if you look at the Acts chapter 27, uh, there is a story that Paul, on his way to Rome, there was a shipwreck, and then Paul actually was very good. Uh, very, Paul was a very uh, prophetic uh, to the captain, Roman uh, captain and the soldiers. But the, when finally they get near the uh, land and the ship was about to get break, and then uh, let me just read 42. Uh, Acts chapter 27, verse 42. Soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But centurion wanted to spare Paul's life, kept them from uh, carrying out their plan. So that's the usual uh, response of uh, Roman soldiers. When they have their, uh, when their prisoners get away, whatever, whatever person, that person, that person, they are guarding, and if they lose it, the penalty is a capital punishment. So, their life and telling is totally contradictory. Now, chief priests actually gave them a large sum of money. And also, they told him, don't worry. This is why chief priests said that, don't worry. We will protect you. We will, and also, we will satisfy Pilate. That means we'll bribe him too. So you guys don't worry. Just tell our story. Remember, Matthew is a Jewish Christian. 
writing not only to other Jewish Christians, but also Gentile Christians who are part of the early Christian community. So he was writing to his own people and long, longing to see his own people embracing Jesus as a Savior and the, uh, and the Lord. But also, he wants uh, any Gentile Christians to have a second thought with, because of a false idea, false narrative of Easter. Now, one thing is uh, clear. Both the Roman soldiers and the disciples and women, they all say the tomb was empty. Tomb was empty. Here we hear the two tales. And here we see two great commissions. One great commission based on truth and, and sacrifice. The other is a great, I call it, concoction of a lie and based on lie and bribes. And everyone needs to make a response to this great news in history. Either you receive Christ as a risen Savior and Son of God, or reject Him as the worst deceiver. Which story of Easter do you believe? Let me conclude today's Easter sermon with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was German, a German pastor, and he suffered for Christ, and he eventually died as a martyr in the Nazi prison. And the Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, this is one of his last words. We pay more attention to dying than to death. We are more concerned to get over the act of dying than to overcome death. Socrates mastered the art of dying. Christ overcame death as the last enemy. There is a real difference between the two things. Done one is within the scope of a human possibility. The other means resurrection. Easter is not celebrating Jesus' courageous death and disciples' courageous devotion to him. But Easter, we are celebrating Jesus' conquest of death and disciples' consistent and confession of resurrection, even at the expense of their own life. Dear brothers and sisters, what Christ has achieved on this Easter Sunday morning was not just showing us how to die well, but showing us that death is no longer our final option. There is a greater power, greater life, and the undying love beyond the death. He spoke us. He spoke to us from the other side that nobody ever came from, came back. And that's the Easter. Let's pray. Before I pray, I want to invite anybody. If you recognize that Jesus is true Savior and the Lord, through this story, I want you to know that His crucifixion forgives your sin and His resurrection gives you eternal life. He died and rose for you. His death and resurrection is yours.
if you call on His name and ask Him, ask him to come to your heart, all this love and power of a God is yours. Amen. Let's pray.